Welcome to Unity of Tucson. There was twice on the way, on the Camino, uh, where I took wrong turns. One was on the very first day. <laughs> After walking for about eight hours, I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens the first day. After walking a little, uh, for about eight hours, I got to this point where I wasn't really sure where to go, and the highway was in front of me, and there was a path that went over here, but it looked like the path backtracked. So I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to go down the highway. And so I cross over to the highway, and there's this blue line. I thought, oh, I found it. I have found the way. <laughs> and I start walking along, following this blue line, and all of these cars and motorcycles are zipping past me. I don't see any other pilgrims. And then I get down, and I'm like, there's the albergue that I'm supposed to stay in tonight. Albergue is a hostel. There's the uh, albergue that I'm supposed to stay in tonight, but I have to now cross the highway to get back over there, and it just didn't seem to make any sense. I later found out that, no, I was supposed to go down that path that seemed to backtrack, and then I would have had a lovely forest walk. <laughs> the blue line, by the way, I found out later, um, is an indicator of where water is flowing below the highway. <laughs> The second time I got lost, or didn't get lost, but took a wrong turn, I'm walking and, and I was looking, I was just marveling at how beautiful it was, and I have got my, camp, my phone out, I'm taking pictures, and I continue walking down the path, and I'm on a paved road, a regular paved road, and this pit, white pickup truck comes, you know, comes by, and they start honking their horn, and all the people inside are going, it's that way, go back that way. <laughs> Gratefully, everyone who lives along the Camino is used to pilgrims getting lost and how to get them back on track. <laughs> so here's the thing about the Camino. There is no way for me to fully encapsulate this experience that I have just had. And it seems strange to me because it feels like a million years ago that I finished, but it was only 24 days ago that I found myself walking into the plaza in front of the cathedral of, uh, in Santiago de Compostela. And um, so much unfolded, so much unfolded. And there was a little part of me that got, to the, um, that got to the end, and I thought, what does this all mean? And I didn't immediately have an answer. And so there's contemplation that unfolds. And here's the thing, I don't really want to encapsulate it. I don't want to encapsulate it into this period of my life that you know, is a standalone period of my life because the value and the benefit is that, I, is that I have an opportunity to keep remembering the experience and keep learning from the experience for the rest of my life, frankly. Bring up the first slide. That's what I walked. Over there, I think I've got a... a uh, um, I think I've got a, yeah, I've got a little, uh, so that's, that's Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in France, and the first day you walk over the Pyrenees, um, it's a 25-kilometer walk, which is, what, 17, 18 miles, and you go up 3,000 feet to go over the Pyrenees. And so a lot of what I'm going to be talking about 
today took place within these first three little stops. So like I said, we're going to have years of me talking about <laughs> getting to there. 493.7 miles in total. The first three hours, the first three hours are the hardest. There, was, there were points where I would start to walk, and I had my, pole, I had my track, track poles, right? Um, unfortunately, I didn't know how to properly use them yet. There's a whole learning curve to using, using track poles, but I would get up there and I would walk about 10 steps, and I'd stop. And then I'd walk 10 steps, and I'd stop. And here's why. First of all, it's the hardest day on the Camino, partially because of the distance, the elevation that you go up, and you are so not prepared. No matter how much you have trained, your body is not prepared. It is unconditioned at this point. I'll tell you, by the end of it, though, I could have gone back to Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, and I would have flown over the Pyrenees. <laughs> and there were points where I would stop after those 10 steps, and I would look around. Oh, the vistas and the rolling hills, mountains and I was half expecting Julie Andrews to come out at any moment <laughs> and sing The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music. Because here's the thing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. It's extraordinary. There's the breeze and the cowbells and the birds and the babbling brooks. It's just, just extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. And that was my first revelation that very first day. And I think I carried some part of this into the experience. And my first revelation is this. This is God. And I've, I've always fundamentally known that. This is God. And God is meant to be experienced, not worshipped. I, I think it is time for us to step away from worshipping the construct of something outside the self, and truly live in the fullness of the experience of God. And I had 33 more days to contemplate that. So my question, one of the questions for you today is this, how might you choose to experience God, which is the essence of your being. How might you choose to experience the essence of your being more profoundly today? And you're right, you know, you're right. You don't have to walk the Camino. But if you want to, <laughs> I will recommend it. And one of the questions that has been asked of me is, uh, actually people have asked, is that something you would do again? And I said, not only would I do it again, I will do it again. I've already made that commitment in my soul that this is something that is a driving practice for me, and I will walk the Camino again. Not everybody comes away with that uh, idea. If you're waiting for life, if you are waiting for life, it's passing you by. Stop waiting. Live it. Live it right now. You know, I made some arbitrary choice many years ago that I'm going to walk the Camino the year that I turn 50. And that was this year, and that's the decision I made. But now there's a part of me, and I have no regrets. I want to be very clear, I have no regrets. There's a little part of me that wishes that when I had the inkling of an idea that this is something I would like to do, I wish I'd done it then. And I won't be waiting, well, I might have to wait till my next sabbatical 
to have the time to do it. Um, but I have some ideas about how I might walk in the future. Stop waiting. Another question that came up for me is, what path is mine to take? Along the Camino, can you go to the next slide? That's the Julie Andrews slide. I forgot to put a note. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I know there's a slide that I have that meant to show. Um, yeah, can you just see Julie Andrews? The hills are alive with the sound of music. <laughs> you can see me doing it, Sherry says. <laughs> Mary. Mary, Mary. Mary, you're behind me. <laughs> um, I didn't sing too much, <laughs> surprisingly. People are like, are you, you're going to sing all the time. I, I actually didn't sing that much. It was, a lot, it was a much more introspective, quiet journey. Okay, I'm getting off track. So the, question, the next question I have is this. What path will you take? Because one of the things about the Camino is that there are many paths to get to Santiago. I took the path that is most popular, the Camino Frances. And even on the Camino Frances, there are these points where there's a divergence and there's an alternative route. And you don't always know what path is going to be harder or easier. And the truth is, I, don't, I still don't really know, because it's not like I walked this path, and I thought, well, that was nice. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to see what this path is like. Um, but there was, one, uh, there was one experience where I took an alternative path that I knew was a less traveled path. And it was after I had reached the halfway point in Sahagun, which is 400 kilometers in, and you have 400 kilometers to go. And I left Sahagun, and I was walking to my next uh, stop, and I knew that if I took the less traveled path, that that was a day that I would walk 32 kilometers. If you're doing the math, that's 20 miles. And I knew that there wouldn't be very many pilgrims on that path. What I didn't realize is, Literally, no other pilgrims did I see that entire day. And I kind of, it was the only time on the entire Camino I actually got a little nervous. And I thought to myself, cell phone reception is not great out here. There's literally not another living soul that I can see. And if I had an emergency out here, I would be... It would not be so good. So yeah, it was a purposeful path, but it took me on an unexpected journey. Part of the reason I wanted to take that journey is because there are um, ancient Roman roads along that section of the Camino, and I wanted to see them. Um, they look like hills. <laughs> but that's really where the refrain settled in. Be where your feet are. Just be where your feet are. Don't live in the concern about what might be. Let go of that and be where your feet are and enjoy every moment of the journey. The most, there is a most important thing about the Camino. The most important thing about the Camino is not the shoes. It's not the aspects of the unknown. It's not the alternative route you might take. It's your pace. It's your pace, your unique 
pace. Because like life, the pace with which you proceed will ensure that you walk with others, sometimes walk alone, and if you find comfort within walking your own pace, life just gets so much better. It gets so much easier. Friends come and go. Some bonds will be forever, like with this guy. You know his name. People know who he is. Sorry, I get really um, emotional because I made a best friend on the Camino. This is a guy named Bill. He lives in Atlanta. And our introduction, so we walked the first day. I, mean, we, I didn't know him on the very first day of walking, but I went from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, walked over the Pyrenees, and the first stop is in Roncesvalles. And you check into the albergue, and then they uh, give you a ticket for where you can go have your pilgrim dinner that night. And so I took my ticket, and I knew the restaurant that I was going to. And as I was going into the restaurant, there's a person there who's taking the ticket, and he basically asks, what language do you speak? Where are you from? I said, primarily English. I'm from the United States. And then he seats me at a table. And he's trying, the person there is trying to connect people who, have, who speak common languages so that we can have conversation, because you hear every language on the Camino. So Bill and I were seated at the same table. And throughout the course of the evening, one of the things about the, the pilgrim meal is that it always comes with as much bread as you can possibly imagine. It always comes with full bottles of red wine. <laughs> and at one point, he was, Bill was trying to put the cork back into the wine bottle, and the wine bottle fell all over me. <laughs> and he is mortified, because all he can think is, I have just dumped an entire bottle of red wine on a minister. <laughs> and he's thinking to himself probably, I'm going straight downstairs. <laughs> and I kept assuring him, said, Bill, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And, and truth be told, you can't even tell that this outfit had red wine spilt all over. It was, this is what I was wearing. You cannot tell that there was red wine all over this. It washed out beautifully. Um, so we finish the meal. We go back to our albergue. We sleep. We get up next day. Um, and I didn't reconnect with Bill until about halfway through the next day when we happened to be walking at the same pace for a while. And we walked next to each other. And he just kept profusely apologizing and apologizing and apologizing. He said, Bill, it's really OK. Don't worry about it. All is well. It's wine. You baptized me in red wine. <laughs> he, t he subsequently told me later, he said, that's the moment that I knew we were going to be really good friends. Because you were so genuine, he told me. He said, you were so genuine, and, and you just made me feel so at peace with, with that. When I walked into the plaza, you know, like I said, you walk sometimes with people, sometimes you walk ahead of people, you're maybe behind people. He got a couple days ahead of me on his walk. And so he reached Santiago two days before I did. And when I walked in, to the plaza, he was there waiting for me and came up with open arms and gave me the biggest hug. Go to the next slide. 
This is a lot of what you see when you walk. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Some of you will have seen the videos of the Meseta where you get out and it's literally like the plains and it is just flat, flat, flat. And some of the roads just straight line for miles and miles and miles. You may recall before I left, um, I had talked about some things I was anticipating about the Camino experience. And I had said, you know, one of the things that I've read so frequently is uh, what are the things that you will drop when you walk the Camino? And um, what are the things that you're going to release when you walk the Camino? Because you will release something. I released 20 pounds. And what I decided is that I wanted to be open by releasing everything I could before I started the walk. And so on the Camino, what I chose was to be open to discovery, to be open to discovery. And I discovered a lot. There was someone who said to me, you don't probably realize it, but you are going to minister more on the Camino than you realize, than you think you will. And I did find that to be true. In St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port, before I ever stepped foot on the path, I met a woman. This was, yeah, like I said, it was before walking. This woman that I met, we had dinner together at our albergue, and she told me about how she was transitioning out of a toxic relationship and told me a little bit of her story, which of course I'm not going to recount to you, other than to say she's very open with everyone that she was transitioning out of a toxic relationship and that part of her decision to walk the Camino was to come to terms with where she had been in her life. And she had arrived in France with some concern about not being able to walk. And then she told me about somebody that she had met on her way to get to Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port that she didn't want to run into on the way. That she just felt very nervous about running into this particular individual. And I, and I said to her, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You don't, you don't know what the future holds. I said, but if you have the willingness to put one foot in front of the other, I guarantee you it'll be a perfect path. Well, as a testament for us all to hear, she created her own experience because her ankles got so swollen she delayed her start an entire day before she had ever taken one step. And so we had lots of talks about that. I actually did catch up with her a few days in, and uh, we were at the same albergue. She caught up with me, by the way. <laughs> of course, I did. That was after I'd taken it's a whole thing. But it was a reminder to me that no matter what, I'm always a minister, even on sabbatical. And I welcome, I welcome that. And I'm grateful because one of the things, one of the questions I had as I started the Camino is, is this what I want to continue to do? Because I was burnt out. I had been in ministry for 12 years, essentially without a break. I needed time to be on a Sabbath sabbatical. 
along the Camino, there's so much graffiti and people like paint rocks and like you, there's so much that you can see. And there was one rock that I saw and somebody had written this, of all the amazing things that I discovered on my Camino journey, the most important and my favorite is myself. I walked 1,171,318 steps to reach Santiago. Y ahora empieza el camino. And now the camino begins. The walk is over, but the journey has just begun. Peace and blessings. One million one hundred seventy-one thousand three hundred eighteen steps, all because I have an Apple Watch that told me so. <laughs> I know that you were sort of on spring break. Uh, a couple of ministers did give you homework, uh, but we're back to homework every week. <laughs> so the homework this week is: I want you to ask yourself this week on a repeated basis. What is my Camino? What is my way? What is my path? What is my journey? What path am I choosing to walk? Because it's all a path. We can walk, we can all walk our own Camino. The Camino is the choice to walk the path, not the path itself. So just ask yourself this week and see what comes up for you. What is my Camino? Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.